Chastan Buttigieg is a pioneer. The very beloved educator rose to public fame when his husband, Pete Buttigieg, became the first openly gay major presidential candidate. At first, Chastan, who is in his early 30s, did not exactly think he fit in the high political circles with her fancy titles and decades spent on the hill. However, he had a great deal to share with ordinary Americans, and I'm not just talking about his good sense of humor and well-timed gifs. His struggles of coming out, student and medical debt, and failing to find the American dream as it was promised, something that millions of Americans can relate to. On November 4th, just one day after the election, and as votes were being diligently counted across the country, we sat down to discuss his decision to be refreshingly honest, why the personal has to be political, and how he deals with criticism. I am your host, Zoya Soroy, and this is The Dive, the podcast where we bring you experts from Harvard and beyond to break down the news and the world for you. Hi. Hey there, how are you? Good, how are you? Not too bad. A little uh, restless this morning, sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was just wondering how you're feeling today and what were the past 24 hours like? (laughs) Yeah, well, obviously, nerve-wracking was up very late and then up very early. Um, You know, we knew for a long time that we weren't going to have an answer on election night. In just hours, all 50 states will be in the process of tallying ballots. But with thousands of mail-in votes, maybe more, expected to arrive after Election Day, experts say it could take days, even weeks, to determine the final results. And yet, you know, it felt like a lot of people were falling into the same trap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we knew there was this sort of red mirage of um, early day or, or day of voting um, looking better for the president. But knowing that, you know, Democrats uh, voted by mail and, and now we're seeing those results come in. Right. And places like Wisconsin pushing Biden over the edge, Michigan. Uh, the early hours of this morning pushing pushing Biden over the edge, and hopefully that that remains true for Pennsylvania. So I'm I'm very optimistic, and I think a lot of people are you know hanging their hat on um, all of the hard work that we did mm-hmm. uh, over the last 400 something days uh, to get that message out there, and um, especially for me here in Michigan, my my home state, I was having conversations with people on the phones and at the doors who were saying, I don't really know if I want to vote or does my vote even matter? And now we're seeing this margin, this razor thin margin in Michigan, which really does mean every vote matters, every vote counts. Uh, And just feel very good about the organizing work we did in these crucial states. I I really like your positive attitude. I feel better about it today. I don't, I'm, I'm used to waking up and I'm always in European time for some reason. I'm su- supposed to be in the U.S. this year, but then the pandemic happened. Um, and so we Goodness. wake up waiting for like we stay late, but then we also wake up and like, you know, you wake up at five and you're like, OK, let me check who the next president of the United States is. And yes, it's been many hours after that. Yeah. And that's a good thing, right? We're waiting. I mean, the reason we're waiting is because, you know, a lot of people mailed in their votes mm-hmm. and the people who are in charge of making sure that those votes are counted uh, and counted appropriately are doing their job. And so we have to be patient in that regard. 
I know we want an answer right away, but it's also a great problem to have when that many people, millions of people voted by mail. And now we just have to make sure that those votes are counted. And especially in these places, we really want to see, you know, the answer. We know that Biden uh, has a large majority of those mail-in votes. So right. we just have to be patient. Uh, and, and that's a good thing. Right, right. I've been very involved in this election first um, in in the candidacy with your husband and then um, helping out the Biden-Harris campaign. Uh, so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Chastin, a fellow Michigander. What was your favorite part about it? Yeah, you know, I, I uh, learned a lot on my feet and very rapidly when, when Pete was out on the campaign trail. Running for president of the United States. And I know politics can seem awful and heartbreaking and, you know, this like cutthroat you know, arena, which it, which it totally can be. But I loved connecting with people and talking to people and boosting their spirits and helping people feel seen and understood. And even when I, you know, came up, up here uh, to Michigan, I was out knocking on doors and talking with people because I think that is fundamentally what politics is about. Our personal lives, our families, our friendships, our civil rights, uh, and people just want to be seen and heard and know um, that you are fighting for them. And so when Pete was running, that's how I connected with people uh, on our campaign, sharing my own story. When I was 18 years old, I worked up the courage to tell my parents that I was gay. And while we have a great relationship now, back then things weren't easy. And helping other people feel like they belong. And then, you know, out there working as hard as we can for Joe and for Kamala and all of these crucial down ballot races as well. Because at the end of the day, politics is the thing that can make our lives better or worse. Uh, and it has certainly shaped my life um, for the better and for the worse in many ways over the late, over the years. Um, and I think people just want to see themselves reflect, excuse me, reflected in the process and reflected in the people who are out there fighting for them. And that is what I enjoy the most. I must say your honesty is really, and the, of course, there's there's more, there's charisma and everything else. It's not just um, about the honesty, but your story is very moving, the way you tell it, the way um, you relate it to politics without sort of the political agenda, per se. I was just wondering when you decided um, to take that decision, to be very upfront about your story. Yeah, the first couple of months of the campaign trail, I sort of felt like an imposter. I didn't really think I belonged in those types of spaces because I felt like you had to be some, you know, political scholar and have years of experience. And the more I opened up to people and shared my own personal stories, the more I realized they connected to me too. And I, that's how I wish politics were, that more people opened up and more people connected in these very vulnerable, authentic ways. And a lot of these things that I opened up about on the campaign trail, like student debt and medical debt, my mm -hmm. my experience, um, you know, being a closeted queer kid in a rural red place in this country, and my experience with things like sexual assault, those aren't unique situations. Th those are very common uh, in our country. And it's important that people in, in positions of power and people in politics talk about those things because millions of other people are navigating those experiences as well. And I never wanted people to, I never wanted to walk into a room and have people think that I just got it. You know, like mm -hmm. I get it all, I have it all figured out. Um, 
that's not how my life has been. And I think it's really important we open up um, to the best of our abilities so that other people can feel less alone and see themselves in the process. And so for me, I, I kind of just realized, you know, I, I think I'm just going to have to do this my way. And I'm glad I did. And did you see a difference um, between how ordinary people reacted to you versus how people in high political circles reacted to, to you opening up? I think certain people probably, you know, everyone has expectations, everyone has an opinion, everybody has unsolicited advice for you. And at the end of the day, I just wanted to do it my way because I couldn't pretend to be anybody else, mm -hmm. especially when I wrote my book. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I passed it around to quite a few different people and wanted everyone's opinion. And I, I wanted a variety of opinions on the book. And, you know, there were some opinions that said I shouldn't talk about that many vulnerable things. I shouldn't be so open. You know, I, uh, you know, I wrote about like kissing a boy for the first time, and I never read a book like that growing up. And I thought that was really important to, to talk about, right? Because we we don't get to see that many stories out there just talking about love and confusion and high school and bullying and internalized homophobia. You know, navigating these waters and trying to figure out who you are and I don't understand why many people think politics should be this like pent up, closed off, you know, power game that is extremely disconnected from the realities of, you know, the American people. And uh, I guess that's just why I did what I did. And I'm sure some people had opinions about it and probably thought I was too forthcoming or, um, you know, I think some people had suggested I'm not taking politics seriously, but what's more serious than talking about these deeply personal, scary things that affect hundreds of millions of people's lives. Right. And a big part of of that opening up, as you mentioned, was um, dealing with um, coming out in the Midwest. Um, and there's many factors at play, not only external, so, sort of this attitude of what a Midwestern strong male uh, behaves like, but also things that you felt internally of how you didn't want to, or you you felt that you're gonna disappoint your parents, and even though they um, they have been generous with their love, um, I was just wondering if you can can briefly describe. You do it wonderfully. I mean, at great lengths in your book, but if you can briefly talk about how sort of the environment failed you growing up. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, many of the social groups that I was in and, you know, athletic groups I was in, the church that I was in, and even the teachers I had, uh, being gay just wasn't a thing that was discussed. And if it was discussed, it was, in you know, in the, in the terms of it being um, disgusting or twisted or immoral or sinful. Um, and I didn't really have sympathetic teachers, you know, as I grew up and, and got to know some of my teachers post high school, I realized, you know, they were in tricky positions too. Mm -hmm. Some of them came out, you know, years later and they were fearful of losing their jobs. But at the time growing up, I didn't have very, very, very many sympathetic teachers and it really was an issue that was discussed. And, um, you know, it wasn't until college when I really made allies and, and I, was able to connect with my friends in other ways where I felt safe and included um, for, you know, for, for 17, 18 years, I truly believed that something inside of me was wrong. Um, and 
it took a long time to to realize that it wasn't me it was it was the system it was our government it was um you know religious discrimination mm-hmm. um and that 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 to me is why it's so important to come out if you can and to share your story if you can and to open up about these things because we still live in a country where millions of queer people still feel on the outside of inclusion and acceptance are still fighting for their civil rights there's another case in front of the supreme court today about religious discrimination when it comes to uh, adoption and foster care facilities um you know and that to me was just another example of why i have to open up i have to tell my story because there are still other kids who are just wondering do they even truly belong in this country uh, yeah go for it no i'm sorry <laughs> no i'm i'm um, I, I was just wondering now when you go back home, what's sort of the most surprising thing for good and bad that has happened between when you were there as a student and when you go back to visit? Yeah, I went, I came back to my high school on the campaign trail and I met with their GSA and I spoke in front of, you know, hundreds of kids and a lot of kids were thanking me for coming back and telling my story and, you know, things that have progressed here in in Northern Michigan greatly. You know, we have pride up here now and um, like this summer, they they closed down Front Street, the big, uh, you know, the busy uh, heavy traffic street downtown where all the shops are and they painted the street uh, in rainbow colors and it said Black Lives Matter up on the State Theater marquee. And I mean, people are pushing Northern Michigan forward and it is progressing. But of course, the surprising thing was a reminder last night, right, that we were expecting to reject this president soundly. And I think many people are going to be uncomfortable with the razor thin margin mm-hmm. in many places that people still voted for this man knowing that he was openly racist and homophobic and xenophobic and the hatred that he inspires wasn't enough for them to to reject him and so in places like northern michigan which is still you know soundly red um there are places like my hometown that are progressing but you know you go a few miles outside of the city limits and you find very different realities um so I'm glad that things are changing and progressing, but it's also just a, a reminder that we have so much work left to do, mm-hmm. uh, especially in these deep red rural places where it is frankly still unsafe for many queer people to exist. And that's not to erase the realities of the dangers of uh, even in progressive uh, um, urban places. Um, but we just have so much work to do for our community uh, and just for the spirit of inclusion and belonging um, in America. And those, your story and this experience is very important in in moving um, politics for for the better. But um, in discussing your story, what shocked you the most about what's not being discussed in political circles? How do you think sort of the... um, gay rights are are seen in in these high circles that took you by surprise that you said no no you have to you know this is not what happens yeah i think you know the primary was like this sort of race to wokeness right like you um you saw the democrats having equality town halls where every 
candidate was was put to task for how they were going to show up for the LGBTQIA community. 30% of LGBTQ youth, 30% right now, report not going to school, missing a day of school in the last month because of fear. And then we moved to the general where we didn't have an equality town hall and we didn't have one question in any presidential debate about LGBTQ plus rights. Um, and that was surprising to me that it made sense for the primary because we are the party for LGBTQ plus inclusion. Um, but then you get to the general and there's sort of this erasure of many communities, right? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I want to say it was very surprising, um, but it, it wasn't. Um, in, in some regards, along along the way and in our own race and then post-race, um, it was discouraging to see how um, ingrained homophobia can be in some, in some uh, places and people, people who hold positions of power, people who have positions in American media um, who just aren't taken to task for their blatant homophobia. Um, even questions um, around misogyny and racism. And you saw that with a lot of conversation around Kamala Harris as well. Sexist, racist attacks and misinformation about Senator Kamala Harris started circulating within hours after Joe Biden announced that she would be his pick for a running mate. President Trump stoked a false conspiracy theory that she is not eligible to run for vice president. And so there are a lot of things. Mm -hmm. that we will continue to have to fight for and call out as a party and as a people, especially when it comes to exclusion. Um, so that's just, you know, that's why I'm in this fight too. It's why I'm going to continue doing as much work as I can, especially for my community where so often we're left out of the conversation and I just want to be a small part of, of that change. Um Your husband in an interview said something that I really loved. And he said, why does patriotism or some other value have to be, you know, belong to one party? Um, these bigger values, they belong to everyone, right? And so I want, in that vein, I want to ask you, how do you make pushing for LGBTQI uh, rights a bipartisan thing? In, in some places, it already is. There are inspiring stories uh, like the progress that was made in Utah with extremely conservative Mormon Republicans. Just days away from Pride Month, where members of the LGBTQ plus community and their allies celebrate identity, love and inclusivity. Today, Utah County Commissioner Nathan Ivey came out as a gay man, sharing his very personal announcement on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, I think we have to approach the table um, from many angles, but one of them that I appreciate um, is a willingness to listen and learn. And I think, I mean, I know I experienced this out in the campaign trail where people would approach me and say, you know, I, I haven't always been a supporter of LGBTQ rights. And in a way, supporting Pete and going out and knocking on doors for Pete was for them uh, a way to atone for their you know past mistakes or sins or whatever um that they wanted to to feel better about evolving on that issue and and in that moment we had a choice right i had a choice to say you know how dare you not be as inclusive and how dare you not be you know, have always been an ally of me and i can you know poke that person or i can thank them for showing up and i can beckon them to the right side of history because if we 
are constantly pointing our finger into people's chests and saying, you know, you're homophobic, you're the reason our country is terrible, you know, blah, 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 like pushing them into a corner. If we back them into a corner, we're backing them into the arms of people like Donald Trump. And mm. so our our approach has to, in some ways, welcome people to the conversation. And that's why I believed, you know, out on the campaign trail, I was showing America my authentic self. And Pete and I were showing our, our love for one another in an authentic and natural way, that our love is like everybody else's love. Our hopes and dreams and fears are like other people's. We are still patriotic Americans who believe in this country, who want what's best for this country, who want to see this country become the best version of itself. We're also gay. And I think that's how we welcome people into the conversation. Um, and that's not to say we don't you know, take people to task and, and then hold their feet over the fire when they're hurting and threatening our community. But I think there are ways in which to have that we can have those conversations that help build other people up and make them feel, you know, big hearted and, and more loving and inclusive and accepting rather than small minded and fearful. And the remarkable, absolutely remarkable thing that you're doing is you know, with your story, um, being out there, sharing it with people, with millions of people, how do you protect all the story from sort of being, or do, do you care when things are taken out of context and your personal life is like skewed to fit some political agenda, but also uh, how do you say motivated when, especially now in the digital world, you get all sorts of comments and things and and I'm sure everybody running for, for office, you know, that it's a question they have to deal with. How do I remain honest while being dealing sort of with the trolls or or you know people who want to just spew hate for the sake of it so i want to know what's your take on that what lessons have you learned that you want <laughs> yeah I, i think i wrote like an entire chapter about that in the book i mean you know you have to decide how much weight you're going to give other people's commentary and of course you know when you're in politics it's a a good rule of thumb is, you know, about half the country is going to hate you. <laughs> so, um, you know, and when, when I went out on the stage and kissed Pete on the cheek at his launch, of course, you know, certain people in, in, in the Republican Party and far right people were, uh, you know, complaining about that kiss. Of course, they weren't complaining or commenting about any straight candidate, you know, spouse coming out on the stage and hugging them or kissing them. And so, like, how much weight am I going to give, you know, people like Rush Limbaugh who have a problem with me kissing my husband? None, because I've been dealing with people like him my entire life, right? There will always be people like Rush Limbaugh who have a problem with gay people in general. Then you meet, you know, these young queer people who are navigating the foster care system or who have opened up to you about their struggle with mental health, mm. um, who acknowledge that at some time they had contemplated taking their own life, but then they are also deeply inspired by your candidacy and what you stand for. Um, those are the conversations I'm interested in having. Those are the people I'm interested in showing up for. Um, you know, that's where I want to invest my energy and my time. Um, you know, if people have things to say about, you know, are you gay enough? Are you not gay enough? I mean, 
that's a silly conversation that's probably only happening on Twitter. You know, that's a very, very loud minority of people who have an idea of what queerness should look like or sound like or be like, you know, and my reminder to some of those people on the campaign trail was you are talking about there being a right way and a wrong way to exist as a gay man. And you have to remember that there are still millions of young queer people in this country who are contemplating whether or not they want to exist at all. Mm. And and I am interested in showing up for them. And so if you think I'm a, you know, a disappointment or whatever, that's fine. But I'm going to continue doing the work and showing up for other people because that is what, you know, gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, you just have to you just have to learn that there's only so much that you can process and only so much that you can do and you of course will never be enough for everybody. And I loved going out there and sort of pulling back the curtain and talking about these issues that were very rarely discussed, even in our own community. Um, and I guess you just have to, at the end of the day, ask yourself, how am I doing the work and who am I showing up for? Hmm. And am I going to put more stock into what you know people on the extreme far left and the extreme far right are saying about me on social media? Or am I going to show up for the kids who are sitting right in front of me at this table asking me how I can make their life better. And I just I just choose to invest in those types of conversations instead. And I uh, left the most important question for the last one. How are your dogs doing? Because they're so <laughs> cute. They are, they are curled up next to me on the couch right now. Um, that's the thing I love is, you know, and the tensions are high in an election. Buddy and Truman do not care about anything. And so they're, they're, uh, they're good pals to have. Uh, throughout all of this. Thanks for asking. Buddy has lost a lot of weight and so he has a lot more energy. We're going on a lot of nature walks. Oh, okay. Um, oh, that's, <laughs> everybody's uh, stress eating and gaining weight. But <laughs> I know. And Buddy's losing weight. When we adopted Buddy, he could barely make it around the block. He was so overweight. Oh. And now, you know, we're going for five mile hikes and he still has energy afterwards. So that's it. He's a motivation to stay in shape myself. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> Chesson, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Dive. For the most recent updates, follow us on Twitter at The Dive Podcast. <laughs>